Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Dr. Terry James Gingrass, and this is Dr. G's ADHD Chat, the show trying to make the world safe for ADHDers. I am a clinical neuropsychologist and psychologist, um, and in private practice still. Not, I purposefully reduced the size of it. And I'm also the parent of Paul, well, we know at least one child. We're thinking probably two. Um, and my wife has just somewhat hesitantly started to identify herself as an ADHDer. She has a brother who's ADHD. We have two nieces that are ADHD. I mean, it's kind of everywhere, and considering up until about 1980, we didn't even have a name for it, so <laughs> I came into this totally with my eyes wide open, but probably my, my brain a little shut off, but in the last five or six sessions, I have been talking about the substances of, of abuse. Uh, and um, there is one huge glaring abnormality in all of this uh, that we need to get to. Somewhat surprisingly, individuals that are put on a people with ADHD that are treated with stimulant medication <clears throat> do not go on to become drug abusers. The people with ADHD who tend to go on and become drug abusers or alcohol abusers tend to be people who are not under treatment. Well, okay, and I don't know how many parents I've had, but won't won't that lead if she starts on or he starts on? No, it does not lead to substance abuse. Matter of fact, it makes it less likely that your child will abuse substances. I mean, I think the big thing we've got to remember is that ADHD is, after all, a neurologic condition. And it's caused by either lower production or more rapid metabolism, we're not really sure, of, at least we know, pretty squarely, dopamine and norepinephrine, both of which have to do with attention, concentration, memory, um, all those things. Um, and an ADHD kid who has got a low level of norepinephrine and dopamine is uncomfortable, especially when you put him or her into situations like school, where they are expected to sit quietly, concentrate, uh, learn stuff, memorize things, and so on. That's uncomfortable. So one one of the things that one of the things we reason we think stimulants work is because they stimulate the production of those neurotransmitters, norepinephrine, dopamine. Uh, they 
once you know i mean once you get it stabilized it i'm not going to say starting out it's uh, all that comfortable or anything but once you get used to it once uh, your physician has figured out the dosage uh you know then an adhd kid on medication is pretty comfortable relative to a kid who's not on any medication and is just running around getting into trouble because he's doing all these hyperactive things which is an effort to stimulate the production of norepinephrine and dopamine naturally okay exercise will increase dopamine norepinephrine okay um, um john rattay uh, psychiatrist at harvard uh he swears by that uh, he, uh, and he claims that um, an hour or so of aerobic exercise is good for eight hours of increased concentration I think that's a little bit optimistic, but he, I mean, he's got to be pretty close. It's at, at least four or five hours. So, I mean, I, and I have read or talked with a lot of ADHD adults who are very productive, and most of them swear by exercise as helping them stay focused. So, that's a good thing to know, and it's also a good thing to start implementing implementing with your own child, even if it means you have to go run with him. Okay, but so a kid who's got ADHD and is not in any treatment for it is uncomfortable. Okay, there's no way that school and all the other things where you're supposed to sit quietly are going to be very comfortable for that young man or young lady. Um, and so why so much substance abuse? Well, basically two reasons. You got the whole impulsivity thing. Hey, you ought to try this. It's great. Boom. Without thinking it through. Okay. The other thing is that if you're uncomfortable, you're looking for something that makes you more comfortable and so a lot of times you know they're trying to treat themselves uh you know i mean i know i i can't even count how many people uh some of them adults some of them teenagers have told me you know doc the only time i feel normal is when i've been smoking marijuana and okay <laughs> but you know nowadays it's not such a big deal since marijuana is becoming largely accepted but um you know before you could get yourself in the hooskow for a long period of time um and when you were the thing that always amazes me about substance abuse especially illegal drugs is that people will buy this stuff from guys some guy standing on a street corner and put it in their bodies and not know <laughs> where it came from how it was produced what it was mixed with any of those things uh and think oh this is okay this makes me feel good well some of the things they put in also kill you
but that's me just being no hyper logical, I suppose. But you know, and I, I seem to be a ADHD. <laughs> I don't know what exactly to, to say, but I somehow my life has become entwined with ADHD stuff, uh, and mostly I've always been able to concentrate like a son of a gun. Um, and sometimes causing my father some concern. Uh, all you know is that they're read. Why don't you, you know? Okay. Anyway, Dad. Uh, so, if your child is on medication and it's all stabilized, and remember, it takes a while to get um, the right dosage and even the right medication in some cases. So don't give up hope uh, and don't say, oh, this crap doesn't work, you know, because it does work for most people, okay? The, deal, the problem, well, there are many problems with trying to find the right dosage of a medication, uh, especially for ADHD, is because it's not, you know, some things you can say, oh, well, you're six feet tall, 200 pounds, you need this much. And you're five foot two and ninety eight pounds, and you only need a little bit. But it doesn't work that way with ADHD. I mean, I've seen literally, I have seen big old linebacker sized guys who are on the lowest dosage of a stimulant that you could get, and I've seen skinny little twelve year olds that are on the highest dosage you could do. Um, so it's it's a by guess and by gory. You have to do it empirically as they say which means you got to try it and see how it works and then adjust it and you know we have a problem okay adhd until the 1980s wasn't even didn't even have a name and uh it's still we have a lot more providers in the world who are not really sure what they're doing with adhd than are so you can't just assume that because you got a uh, you know, you're, you're an MD or you're a LPN or, a, you know, anybody who can write prescriptions uh, that you necessarily know what you're doing with ADHD. So you do have to be careful about that. You know, you have to shop around, check with other people who have ADHD children and find out who is good and who um, uh, who did well with their child. Uh, because because it's a tricky, it's a tricky, uh, well, it's tricky figuring out the dosage mostly. Uh, figuring out which medication, that's a little less tricky, but um, it's not, well, I mean, a, any kind of a provider can probably, you know, say, oh, well, I will use, you know, like, I happen to be in the Adderall part of the world. Everybody uses Adderall. That's not necessarily because it's better than anything else. Uh, just seems like uh, that's what everybody uses. And once everybody starts using it, you know, once one of the the leaders uh, starts using it, everybody falls in line. And there's no harm in it. I mean, it works pretty well for a lot of people. Uh, but that's one of the things you have to be careful of. 
is that you don't give up prematurely. You have to work to get the right medication, first of all, and then you have to work and get the right dosage. And there are also other medications than just stimulants that, that work with ADHD. Uh, there'd be arguments about whether they work as well, but basically you have to work it out. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to be willing to experiment. There's just no other way of putting it. Um, the other, and it's probably, a, you know, the smaller part of uh, ADHD. ADHDers are uncomfortable. They're looking for some kind of relief. So they experiment with different medications. Uh, and uh, that is not a, that is not a good thing. Um, you know, a lot of sometimes they decide uh, that something is helpful and they, so they start doing more and more of it. So pretty soon they're, I mean, I've seen folks who are alcoholic uh, who if they didn't have friends, they'd be dead because, you know, they just drink and they drink so much that they, they go to their bed and they just stay there. <clears throat> and if you know anything about alcohol withdrawal, you know that that's more dangerous than withdrawing from heroin. I mean, it is, it can be nasty. People will, can die. Uh, so you don't just uh, lock, lock the bedroom door and slide breakfast up, uh, under the under the door, you know, to keep them going. No, you, you need to be careful. That needs to be medically supervised. So, of course, um, we have pretty much taken that away. You know, the treatment of alcohol withdrawal is uh, not well regulated. Matter of fact, the insurance companies are regulating against it. You know, so you get this deal where uh, they bring a guy into the hospital for three days and then give him a prescription and tell him to be on his way. Oh, and by the way, don't, don't abuse the prescription. Uh, that's just to kind of help you get down without going through withdrawal. Okay. And, uh, used to be, uh, Oh, when I was, in graduate school, I did a, an internship in a VA alcohol treatment program. And it, we kept people as long as they needed to be kept. Okay, so sometimes, you know, basically what happened is they swept them up off the sidewalk uh, in South Tucson, they brought them to us they were spent three or four days uh, going through acute withdrawal, you know, medically supervised, yeah, you know, uh, that that sort of stuff. Then they would go to us, and sometimes, you know, they'd come in and they'd, they'd just be like shaking, you know, and not talking or anything. And, and alcohol rehab, rehab is usually a, a lot of group work, you know. So we'd have these group meetings. And those guys would be there for two or three weeks and they just, they wouldn't be saying a thing. And all of a sudden one day they get, hi, my name is Ralph. I'm an alcoholic. 
And, you know, that would be the first time most of the staff had heard them talk. It is a, um, it is a scary thing. I mean, it really is. Uh, and, um, but the advantage we had back then is we could keep them as long as we wanted to. Nowadays, uh, you're, you're out. You've got a handful of pills and you're on your way. So we, you know, we get a merry-go-round kind of effect, which is not good for anybody. Uh, okay, but the two things that being on medication help that we know of, uh, it makes people more comfortable. They know um, they know that they have better control of, of themselves. They know that they are able to concentrate and sit still and that sort of stuff um, more comfortably. Uh, they probably aren't all that aware that uh, it's a, uh, you know, chemically we're boosting their ability to produce uh, dopamine and norepinephrine, but uh, that's that's the effect. And also because they're on their treatment, under treatment, and not as uncomfortable, and uh, their dopamine and norepinephrine have been boosted, they're not going to do as many impulsive things. Well, and some parts of getting addicted to, to substances have to do with trying to feel better, trying to self-treat, and some parts of it have to do with just impulse, impulsive moves. Oh, the kids over on the corner there are doing this, so why shouldn't I? Kind of thing, without thinking about it. Okay, so that is... Uh, I think the last thing I'm going to say about for at least a while about substance abuse and, and ADHD, uh, you know, I do, I do think, you know, regardless, well, of your fears and that sort of stuff that you should, you're, if you have an ADHD or you should be looking at medications, at least look at it, give it a shot. I mean, just because uh, you get a script written for your child doesn't mean you have to finish out the script. You can try it, and if it really doesn't seem to be working for you. But the thing you've got to remember is that expectation is a huge part of how medications work. Okay, and now I speak as a psychologist with a lot of behavioral medicine training and that sort of stuff. And so I can be seen as being prejudiced uh, about people's control over themselves, like, I guess, to put it into a better way, or for treatments that basically don't require a lot of medications. But this is one I think you've got you to be looking at, at treating it medically. I mean, it's just the... the the pain ADHD causes is uh, extremely high. And, I'm, you know, I speak as a veteran of the wars. I have been through this with my own uh, and, of course, with a ton of my patients. Uh, it's not comfortable. You know, the world is not set up for ADHDers. Uh, certainly schools are not. And um, the... <laughs> A lot of the world is not. And if you're an ADHD or you need to be thinking about uh, and you're about to graduate from college and stuff, 
I need to be looking at getting a coach. Okay. I'm going to say that I am a coach, but I think you need to understand that if you aren't in the right place with the right kind of job, with the kind of a job that accepts that you're a little bit different, you know, that you're maybe a little more creative, maybe a little brighter, uh, maybe a little more scatterbrained uh, than the average person. It does not mean that you can't be terribly successful, and a whole bunch of ADHD people are, but you've got to be in the right position. If you're in a position where you're not appreciated, where they don't want any creativity, uh, they just want you to, you know, do this, do that, do that, do what I tell you, do kind of thing. Uh, well, you're just going to have some problems. So as a parent, you need to be encouraging that as they get closer and closer to moving out into the world. Okay, uh, I am Dr. Terry James Jimgrass. This is the Dr. G's ADHD chat, the show trying to make the world safe for ADHDers. Uh, my website is terryjimgrassphd.com. Uh, you can sign up for my list there. Um, pretty soon I'm going to be offering some things. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those later. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I like this field. I find it really fascinating. You know, I just, uh, this is... <laughs> I went came into this not knowing much about it, honestly, and then because of my kids, I had to learn a whole lot about it, and then I started seeing those patients, uh, ADHD years as patients, and and I'm still real interested in it, and I I know there are a bunch of ways uh, that ADHD can be handled, okay, but. As a parent, it's way more work and way more, there's way more of a burden on burden, a load. You have to do more than you did. You know, most of us, you know, my first kid, I just kind of reacted to whatever happened. But with an ADHD kid, you got to be anticipating. Uh, that's why my book is called Strategic Parenting, not Tactical. Okay. We'll talk about that later on. Okay, we'll catch you next week. Uh, and remember, the world needs outside-the-box thinkers like your child. Okay, but they have to be come into the world confident and flexible ah, and able to tolerate some mistakes and things. Okay, see you, see you again.